Welcome to the Rock and Roll Survivors Podcast, dedicated to those in front of the curtain, behind the curtain, and somewhere in between. I'm Kristen, and on season one, the legendary rock star Patty Quattro joins us to discuss her time with the band Fanny, the fabulous feedback from the international press, David Bowie's contributions to the fifth and final Fanny album, and so much more. So let's get started. Patty, we had talked a lot about the incredible press that Fanny received when you joined the band. It was like this incredible excitement with this new incarnation. And I wanted to read one, just one, there's so much, but there's one by this entertainment writer named Bob Hauer or Hoyer. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, H-O-H-E-R. And he wrote, I just think this is so glowing and I know you're going to blush, but who cares? Because it's so true. (laughs) It says, quote, In previous recordings and appearances, this female foursome came on as a well-tuned rocking band, the kind one would usually hire to play his college coffee house, good, but not great. But in the last four months, following the departure of half the band, Fanny acquired the one element that just might inspire them to fame and fortune. One Patty Quattro, lead guitarist, employed the necessary superstar skills, writing, playing, and appearance. This lady is the group's guiding light and salvation. Cast in the same mold as her screaming, fiery sister, Patty, Susie, excuse me, Patty seems to have emerged from the glossy pages of Vogue. Tall, thin, tan, pretty, and a rock and roll spangled fashion plate. Close quote. <laughs> I love that. So you were like a supermodel as the uh, the world of Vogue is happening and you're a star. But you, we had talked about this before. That is the image that my dad wanted you to have. He, you he, came. Wanted, yeah, he wanted to compare me to Marushka, who was real tall and gangly too. She was a top model in that era. And And very sought after. So he put that label on me and that, there you go. (laughs) I'm holding this up because there you go. (laughs) There's, there are those legs. I have a question for you. And I don't know if this is faded. Did you have a blue light on your hair or was that a wig? No, it's just the way it came out. No, my hair was a brownish red, you know. No, no, no. I know, but it looks blue here. And I know, for example, yeah. I don't know if people know this. I know I know you know this, but during this time was when my dad had Jeannie take part of the hair and bleach it. And remember the green stripe in her hair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that when she flipped her hair back, it would just be this little bit of That's green. The thing. No, I didn't do that. I just had highlights, a lot highlights. of highlights. Yeah. Well, I want to explore this album meaning the album cover art in depth, because we've spoken a little bit about John Bilecki, who was the photographer. And the reason why I want to have this conversation is because, first of all, I love liner notes, especially in the old days with an album. I don't know about anybody else, but that was one of the more fun parts of getting a new album for me, because it was like being a detective. I wanted to know who the people were behind the scenes because creating an album does not happen in a vacuum, or at least it used to not happen in a vacuum. So I thought it would be fun to talk a little bit about the album cover art, but let's specifically, we know my father was the executive producer. We know that Vinnie Poncia, who was hired by Richard Perry, Richard Perry being at that point, like hitting stardom himself, if not, I mean, he was just stratospheric there. So he has his own production company now. He brings Vinnie Poncia on for you. And one of the names on there was at the time, the husband of Brie. 
And if, if you notice the album, it's Brie Howard. And yeah. she's married to James Newton Howard, who at the time was a synth player. He played clavinet and synthesizer on the album. But he went on to become a huge, famous um, film composer. I mean, he scored over 100 films since then, and he's been Grammy and Emmy nominated. I think he won both of those. He's been nominated for nine Academy Awards since then. And I remember before my father passed away, just being so impressed that he was able to take his rock and roll playing to this whole new level. So do you have memories of James Newton Howard and Brie and all of that? I'd love to hear if you have any. Oh, yes. In fact, when she left the band, it was because of those personal issues. She wanted to get back to her husband and her child, Brandy. And she felt like they we weren't making money. And we weren't, if truth be known. You know, we were getting little paltry amounts to keep us alive and whatever. So she was disenchanted and went back to her husband. And none of that happened until they divorced. They ended up divorcing at some point. And all of a sudden, his career just took off. I don't know who he got with or what, but he is really good at what he does. Absolutely. He was great. He is. Nice guy, too. Nice guy. That's great. I think he remarried his kids, probably. I'm not sure of that, but I know he did remarry. Well, not to go off on a tangent here, but you just brought something up that I don't want to ignore. Talk a little bit more about this idea that you weren't making any money. There was some kind of joke because Larry told me about this later years. He was the VP. He said, you know, they were all the heads and stuff. They were like, oh, what do we have to give them and stuff? And somebody piped in and said, they're happy just to be out on the road playing. They're after the music. And I mean, that was always said about me, too, in the press, that Susie and I, it was about the music. It was said in press that forget the rest of it. You know, that's why I always say I, I lived all around the rock and roll life, but we were after the music. That's what we were after. And it was different when I got to L.A. But the other thing you said about the album covers, that's a real interesting phenomena. And it's a lost art I remember waiting for the album covers and waiting for the liner notes or seeing what hidden things they put in there for you to figure out and do all that. It was an amazing lost art. And I know a lot of people that miss that. You know, I mean, now it's just streaming and whatever, but there was artwork involved, amazing pictures. I mean, yes, the Yes Band, their covers were They were gorgeous art. And well, and the size of it too. I mean, they do put liner yes. notes, CDs, and but it's just not the same. Feeling it's not the same as it's you're listening the to the music. When I was going through today's interview, I was reminded of the order of an album. So yeah. side one was really important. What did you open with? What did you close with? What would make somebody want to flip it over and listen to it again? I love that. With the album fluff. <laughs> with the album fluff. Well, and speaking of this album. Rock and Roll Survivors, because you had talked about that, and and that's a wonderful thing. Let's pick up on that. You had talked about that you were not a fan of albums when they would fill it, for the most part, except for maybe one or two of the hits, and you didn't like that. But I have to say, and of course, I always wear my bias openly on my sleeve when it comes to Fanny, because I love all of you so much, but I don't think this album has fluff in it. I mean, I think you succeeded brilliantly in adding different genres and making it cohesive in a way that really does make you want to put on side one all the way 
to side B. You know, that was that was said in the press. I could pull out a lot of presses that said that commented on that very thing that you're pointing out, that it was a, a mixture of a lot of different types of things. And and the critics and stuff commented on that, that they liked that. So I'd have to agree that we did have a lot of different flavors in there. You really, really did. And one of the critics was Robert Hilburn from the LA Times. And he, in talking about you joining the band, and I want to read it, this was from 1974. He says, quote, guitarist Patty Quattro, sister of Susie, England's chart-busting phenom, adds a welcome element of toughness to Fanny's once too prissy image. And it seems to have rubbed off on the other members. They've never looked so strong and so authoritative. Close quote. Wow. Well, that's what I always say when I, you know, when we talk privately, Jean and I, you know, I always tell her, you came out of yourself. You know, you may not remember that, but you became a front person. And she did. She just got more ballsy and she would do a bass solo and stuff. I mean, she, you know, she changed. Well, I I think the both were together. Yeah, together. And so did I being away from my family unit, mm-hmm. you know, you had to, you know, do or die. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of your family, and you and I had talked about this before we started this interview, you you don't remember, am I, well, let me say that differently. Am I getting it correct that you don't remember if you were given the opportunity to provide names on the special thanks to list on the back? Yes, I believe I was. And there was another thing that uh, we talked about Nikki did tell us she was leaving before the end of the tour. I just want to put that in because I confirmed it in press. It did say it. And that's why Cam and me and Bree did some, I mean, uh, Jean did some PR on our own before we left England, like to keep going. And it was just the three of us and Nikki was not in those pictures. But anyway, what you asked about the, um, album cover names. Yes, we were all asked to contribute because there's obviously names on there that would have something to do with me. And I see others to do with Nikki and different people. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your your choices then for a moment. You have on here Nancy and Susie Quattro. Yes. So I found this interesting because why not the other sisters? <laughs> and tell us a little bit why Nancy is on there and, and the connection with my dad. Nancy came to visit. And she, you know, I mean, our bands had stopped and she was in Detroit working and doing stuff. And she came to visit and your dad heard that she could sing good. And I don't know if she uh, sang for him or what, but he got real interested in signing her. I was wondering if he'd make her join the band or something, but they wanted to keep it the four. So, and she was really attractive and sang, she wailed and he took they did pictures and everything. And I think at, at the end, he was so involved with Fanny, it just sort of was on the back burner. And mm-hmm. I think Nancy, you know, she just, uh, I'm going back to Detroit to my boyfriend and my life, you know, and she sort of went back. And I'd have to ask her to get her memory take on that, why she actually did. But I think it was just going too slow and she was hanging out and, you know, it just didn't happen. But they went to the trouble of taking the pictures and everything and they turned out great. They were very sexy. That's incredible. I did not know that. That's something that you, yeah. Yeah, He wanted to, yeah, he he was interested. And he said she could wail. Am I getting this sister correct that she sounded like a female Robert Plant? 
Yeah, she did. In fact, Susie was angry at me for bringing her in. And, and she'll never let me forget this. God, we laugh and argue about it. We're like oil and water a lot of times. And she said, uh, you know, at one point I said, well, you know, things are changing. Times are changing. We need to bring in a different flavor, you know, almost like telling her you're over with. And she had been Susie Soul in the front, you know, and she didn't like, she was not happy. So she just like, huh, I'll show you. I'm going to get into my bass playing and become a monster. So her and Nancy shared vocal parts. We had the the wailing type, you know, like Led Zeppelin. And Susie was more like Janis Joplin. She did not sing like she did on her records. And we will go into that musically at some point. Oh. But there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I loved when she sang lower like she does today. She's Her voice, she's older. Her okay. voice has come down. They wanted to make her way high and excited. That was her producer's idea in England. Move her voice up. So she, hang in a, she, she hung in a higher register. I hated it. You know, and, and go figure. Her audience loved it. She became beloved. You know, what the hell do I know? But I loved her lower voice. That's just... She could sing the hell out of Otis Redding and stuff like that. Wow. So we'll get into that. Yeah, we will. I can't wait. I'm, I'm trying to keep us on track here because I, I already have a Yeah, go for it. <laughs> but we'll get there. We'll get there. So in addition on the album cover, thanks or special thanks to you also thank your brother, Michael. And you and I talked about the fact that that was a really hard decision for you to leave. And makes me cry almost to leave him in the band and working with him. And here you are now, you're out in LA and you've produced this album or you've created this album. And he's thanked on there separate from Nancy and Susie Quattro on his own. So tell us a little bit. That was horribly emotional because he has such, he can be so abrasive. And we always used to joke and say, put a tape on your mouth and just play. That's your gift. We always did that. We we did so much to him. Four girls and one boy in the family. I mean, he had a rough time. So he had such a good heart. And he was so supportive with his talent. This is what floored me. He was such a genius on keyboards, which, again, we'll get it. That's a whole chapter. And he had such a good heart, and it always floored me with his kind of talent and how high up on the scale he was. He was the purest, most gifted talent in the Quattro family, bar none. More than Susie, more than me, more than Nancy, Arlie. He had the biggest, purest gift. He was born with it, okay, and meant to entertain on keys. And to have him support me so hard, he used to tell me, he had me on this pedestal. Oh, you're friggin' great, Patty. And he would go on and on for years and decades about what he thought of me. And I just used to, I was aghast, you know, it was like, look at you. I mean, you got to be kidding me. I couldn't even walk his keys to the stage. And it always surprised me, but that's how kind and gracious he was. He just, was supportive. And so I had to put him on there. You got to remember too, I had such a love for my brother. He was a huge promoter and he put his sisters on every friggin' festival. We got the experience of interacting, hanging, jamming, and playing on festivals with so many giants of that era. You have no idea. You've seen the list. We played I've seen the list. We've played with everybody. 
And that was because of Michael putting us on. He would he would include us. And we held our own. But, I mean, you know, that was a big leg up. At, well, long leg up in your case. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a long leg up. <laughs> Do you know if he liked this album, the Rock and Roll Survivors album? Yes, he did. He He liked everything I did. He was just real supportive. You know, he got over me leaving. And he brought someone else in and he made three or four more albums, one with Motown. I mean, he had a whole career thing. Aerosmith didn't even want to go on the stage after him. <laughs> it's in their book. They're this genius, you know, and they and the audience was going crazy and the, with the lighters up and everything. He was magic. He was just magical. Anyway. Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I love that. Well, this is so not your brother, but next on the list <laughs> are two tiny little kids at the time. And it says Brandy and Kristen. So, of course, Brandy, uh, Kristen is me. Brandy is Bree's daughter, Brandy yeah. Brandt. And just a funny little aside, and it's just, just so stupid and silly, but it actually still irks me to this day. So I think I've mentioned before that I was always like my dad's little grown-up shadow or little yeah. kid shadow, but I was always treated like a grown-up. And so I had been around Fanny since 1970. I was there for the first four albums, touring, all of that. Oh and now I'm, you know, all but preparing to join you on what should have been the sixth album. But there I am. <laughs> so right. it's just Brandy and Kristen. And I was just so, for, excuse my language, pissed. I was angry. I went marching into my dad's office and I said, how come Brandy's first and not me? I'm around much more. And my dad so quickly on his feet said, it was alphabetized. It did it alphabetical order. <laughs> I basically called Oh, your dad knew what to say. Your dad knew what to say. He was a quick, he had it put together. <laughs> yes, yes, he did. So another person on the list, and you had an interesting take on this, and I want to hear about it, is Keith Moon. Tell us how why Keith Moon was thanked on this album. Keith was close with all of us, and Nikki, and we sang on his album, which was a hoot. He was such a colorful character. I love Keith. And there's an infamous New York story coming about the Who. And that is probably one of the top stories behind the scenes at a famous rock and roll hotel. And I remember everything about Keith. It was just a delight. to He was a loon. He was a loon. And he got up and played his drums, but he was such a loon. We shared the same roadie. Can you believe that? Our roadie was on the road with the Who, and then he came to Pleasure Seekers. It's so funny. All the connections, they just go through the years in weird wow. ways. Yeah. Well, just, just to clarify, this is before you got to Fanny. And so it's, yes. it's a bit of yes. a for our listeners, because that story is going to be on hold when we go back in time. Yes. I cannot yes. wait. Well, another person on the list, and I, as you were saying, I love connections, insider connections, and how yeah. everybody knows everybody. So one of the names on the list who I've actually recently reunited with, he was a, one of my dad's best friends, was Gary Stromberg. And oh my God. you have some stories about Gary Stromberg, but I just wanted to let our listeners know that Gary Stromberg right now has a podcast out about, I believe it's the 1972 Stone, Rolling Stones tour. And I guess it's known as one of the most debaucherous, whatever, famous tours. And so Gary is the host of the podcast. It's through iHeartRadio. And he and I reunited on Facebook and we've been sharing pictures of when he was at the house hanging out 
and hang oh. with my dad and you were there. So tell us yeah. about Gary Stromberg. Great guy. We had an interesting connection because, you know, I live and breathe Detroit. You know, my soul is always there. And I grew up with Motown and we're connected with all those people also, which will come when we go backwards because mm -hmm. we had some interesting interactions there. But I carried that to LA. It's always in my music. Beggar Man is very funky, soulful. You know, that that kind of music really uh, touches me. It's part of my energy. And Gary loved the soulful music. Oh, my God. He could go on and on. So we would talk about it. And he loved that I had that connection with Motown. He was like, oh, my God, you grew up with that. And, you know, I felt so blessed. To have that when you go to Detroit and you hop in a taxi, even now, decades later, you have a taxi driver that will turn on the radio full blast, and the whole taxi is shaken and it's soul music. You know, I mean, we used to laugh when we went there to get inducted and, and we were in the taxis, every driver would be playing the music loud. That's Detroit, foot on the gas, always. Uh Always a great story. You couldn't ask for a better city. I'm so prejudiced. You can't. It's decades of legacy. Decades. Oh, it's historic. Detroit Rock City. Absolutely. Yeah. And and my last name Glasgow is a married last name. Obviously, I was born Kristen Silver because right. my former husband Jack is from Detroit. So we had our honeymoon there. He lives oh, there now yeah. currently. And for our honeymoon, we went to the Motown Museum. Oh, it's amazing. Well, and this is before they revamped it. This is a long time ago. It's like 20 years ago. And nobody was there. It was in the middle of the week. And yeah. the guard had grown up with all of these musicians on the street. And he yeah. gave us this private tour. He showed, he took us up to the apartments. So mm -hmm. I, I, I was the one who came up with the idea of there is something in the water in Detroit. I am in awe of Detroit for every reason in the world. So Oh, there's a whole there's a whole paper on it about what's in Detroit. Yeah. Somebody, you know, saw a vision to talk about that. And it really was because the kids wanted to not be in the factories, the car factories, and they vegetated to the music. And the other did you see in the museum the place where the hole was in the ceiling? I they got the Motown sound, the clap and stuff, and the echo. I mean, they cut a friggin' hole in the ceiling they, and then yes. go under there and clap to their songs, and it was that sound. It's amazing. There's a lot of meat there when we go backwards Definitely. about Motown and connections. Mickey had huge connections with them, and we we backed some of their people. So it'll be fun. Yeah, Mickey is Michael. Mickey is your Michael. brother. For people who don't I know. call him Mickey. Yeah. Well, just one other little yeah. moment because of the, the um, yes. hole in the ceiling. Also, Barry Gordy, the guard pointed out to me, I wish I could remember his name, on the floor near the piano, there was the hole on the wood where yeah. if Barry Gordy could stamp his foot to the rhythm, he knew it was a yes. hit. And yes. that whole, it's right near the piano. Oh, it was just wonderful. Whole oh, thing. Oh, I can't God. wait to talk about this. So going back to the album cover of people who are thanked on here, we, and we recently spoke about Leslie West and he's thanked on here. And I'm assuming that's also one of your. Yeah. Of course he would be on there. Yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah. also there's Jan Wenner, who obviously founded Rolling Stone. Yes. There's Abe Summer. And this is an interesting story. And I wanted to share this a little bit. Abe Summer at the time was a huge entertainment lawyer. He also, on an aside, I believe was one of the first male entertainment lawyers or guys to be sued for sexual harassment. It was a oh case God. that happened a long really? time ago, but it's, I believe, and I will verify that, but I'm pretty sure that's true that it was him. I could. Wow. wow. But Abe Summer is also known for having once thrown this really she-she fabulous New Year's Eve party about a block down from dad's house on Doheny. And there was a band that was hired to play there. None other than this up and coming foursome named Fanny, who was signed oh to Warner Brothers Reprise. This is obviously pre-you. Right. And Abe Summers, either girlfriend or wife at the time, caught a vision or saw, saw the, the ladies of Fanny and canceled them. Told Abe, oh, absolutely so not. Funny. And so oh, the girls were really upset. We talked about this on the previous podcast. And so the song, Charity Ball, was penned at Fanny Hill that night. And it was... Not as cutesy as it ended up being because the lyrics were, and for those who don't want to hear me cuss, cover your ears. The original lyrics were instead of, you know, dance, who, right? It was fuck you, screw you, charity. (laughs) (laughs) So I still challenge people to redo that song with the cuss words in there. But yes. And so moving on with the list, we also talked about Artie Mogul before who was on there. Right. And also on that list is Jeff Wald and Helen Reddy. Jeff Wald was yes. also an up and comer at the time, and he was married to Helen Reddy at the time. She was a lovely gal. I don't have great things to Not say. Not so much him. I was going to say, so I am. He had such a reputation. Yeah, I, I didn't really know him, but he had a, a, quite a reputation following him. A lot of people that didn't care for him. For a, he did right by her, you know, he got her going. Oh, okay. Yes. Was lovely. Yeah. I was going to say career wise, he helped her, but I mean, yes, he did. Yes. I'm trying to be really um, diplomatic here. I was, I was not a fan. <laughs> I was not a fan. So <laughs> uh, well, you can't love everybody. You know, we're all different personalities. I'm sure there's people that would say about me, you know, ah, you know, you don't know, you yeah. don't know. You Who doesn't love Patty or whatever. <laughs> No. So also on the list, we have Derek Taylor, who, of course, was associated with the Beatles and also worked with the earlier incarnation of Fanny. We also have Michael Chow. We were talking about him the other day. He owned Chow's because my dad and he also cooked Chinese food together. But here's also on the list is Dan Tana. And for those who don't know, Dan Tana was the owner of Dan Tana's, which is a wonder was a, is a wonderful Italian restaurant. And Patty, you have some great memories in that restaurant. Oh my God, we hung there all the time. Not all the Fanny girls, but I right up from Tahiti, I could go right down there and have my Italian. I'm Italian, so I wanted my pasta, and they had a great Italian food. And I used to hang there with uh, Glenn Fry would come in, and he's homeboy for me. You know, we played gigs together and everything. And so we would trade stories and stuff. And I heard all about how Bobby Seeger, who's also a dear homeboy friend, he used to teach Glenn, you know, he taught him a lot about songwriting. I mean, Bobby Seeger is a consummate storyteller. You know, he's huge. And he gave a lot of 
ideas and creativity to Glenn. And Glenn even sang on a lot of his early stuff. He got involved. So he helped Glenn out a lot, the two Detroit homeboys. So we would gab, you know, and hang out at the uh, Dantanas and just have a great night. It was jammed with music people. A lot of them. Yeah. Very popular place. Well, tell us. And my daughter. That's what I was going to say. Tell, tell us. My that. daughter, when she came to see us at the Whiskey on the L.A. tour, right? Guess what I asked her to do? I told her, you get your fanny over to Dantana's and bring me pasta that I can have after the gig at Whiskey. She brought it. And boy, did I! it lasted about 30 seconds. I, it was so good. Just as good as it ever was. I love that. And just to clarify, that Whiskey performance was only a couple months ago. This was yes. the 50th plus yes. anniversary with all of you performing there. She got it to me for Mother's Day. Okay, I'll bring you your pasta. And they had a wonderful Italian dinner. I had mine later, but. That's funny. wonderful. Now, was this Marissa or Jesse? Marissa. Her and her uh, guy came, her husband. They came together and they were just in shock. It was fun watching, you know, same thing as with, at the induction in Detroit. You know, now they saw Fanny with all the Fanny girls except Nikki. And I mean, I went to them afterwards and they were like, Oh, my God. They were just, it was such a warm and fuzzy night. You know, the audience couldn't have been kinder to these older ladies. And we kicked butt. And my daughter was just flabbergasted, flabbergasted. And she had never been able to see Fanny until I show her. I'll show her the the tapes that we're getting Mm because I have four TV things. Yeah. Of the glory days, yeah. The glory days. And just in case I need to underscore that, we have four live performances that we are working on. And I've seen them. And I'm, uh, (laughs) that's all I'm going to say. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) 